0: This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge the ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are still happening in this country now. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. (laughs)
1: Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Snack Pod, the Australian news, politics, and memes podcast that is kind of like a falafel, in the sense that I've been making them for a while now, and they're still not
0: quite holding together. My name is Zach the Snack, and with me, as always, is my co-host... Hey, it's Noon. Thanks. It's nice to be back, Zach. I, I, I really enjoyed last week's episode. I really enjoyed not having to do literally anything for it, and then get to listen to an episode of the show that I hadn't heard before. So, yeah, that was it. It was Holly a very was good
1: deal for you. It was. Yes. Yeah, it was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> it, worked out, it worked out great for you. And then uh this week, I was like, oh, man, I, I had to like write, record, edit, release a whole episode on my own last week. You think you could do most of the show this week? And you were like, yeah, just do like 10 minutes on Israel-Palestine cut to... Me doing like sixteen hours of reading.
0: Look, to be for this fair, second, so you already had most of it done last week, and I was like, "Could you just do most of that again?" And yeah. So anyway,
1: well, I, yeah, I did. I went overboard again. Anyway, so it's going to be a long episode, folks. Uh, strap in. Uh, welcome, if you're new, we might have a, a few new listeners, mm-hmm. uh, courtesy of the age. Yep. So, um, thank you, mainstream media, for supporting uh, the Indie true podcasts. independence. Yeah. Yeah, the real heroes. Um, also, we keep forgetting to mention, but we passed 50,000 downloads yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's which very is very exciting. That's very nice for us. We've um, also
0: technically released 100 episodes. Uh, we've actually... Well, so we've released... This is our 99th episode, as you can see, if you're listening to it now. But we had a few bonus apps that got released on the main one. But then we also didn't upload our first few episodes to this thing. So we've released a hundred episodes, but next week will be our hundredth episode, which, which one will be- official 100 yeah. episode. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, I'd also like to point out that 50,000 downloads, like that's the, every download on the main podcast over the course of the last two years, yes. total yes. Full, full snack SnackPod. If to, to qualify for, uh, the like indie podcast label in the Australian podcast awards, you need to get less than 50,000 downloads per episode.
0: Nice. (laughs) So (laughs) So we're definitely qualified for that. (laughs) We're
1: definitely qualified for the um, indie section uh, in the Australian Podcast Awards. Um, But, you know, thank you everybody for sticking with us all this time. We're going to do something fun next week to celebrate 100 episodes. And also,
0: That's right, it's the fifth year anniversary of the shit posting Facebook group, uh, which we rarely mention that this show is the official podcast of, but it it is. Um, and I made that group because I was posting about Ospol on my timeline, and a friend of mine who I'm not that close with, but who I like plenty, messaged me being like, hey, I'm going to unfriend you if you keep posting all this sh- shit so i made a group for it uh, These and
1: blurry photos of the fucking
0: newspaper yeah five years later uh, i've got a podcast so yeah thanks for coming on the journey with me everyone <laughs> especially you zach uh pleasure and also i just wanted to shout out our new patrons um two new people signed up on patreon this week sarah and steph and a couple of people have changed their pledges over from us dollars to australian dollars which we appreciate as well so thank you those people
1: yeah yes And it's funny because you either sign up for $6.90 or $13.12.
0: That is funny.
1: Or $1, which is not a funny amount, but it is a satisfying amount.
0: Yep. Yeah. Speaking of $1, why don't we get into our entree, uh, which is about the Victorian budget. Um, Last week, I I really appreciated what you said last week about, like, let's not uh, let the government... Tell us, you know, the stories for this week, if you know what I mean. Like the the budget yeah, is just a messaging set the opportunity. terms
1: of the political conversation. Yeah, it's just it's a it's propaganda. It's a bunch of bullshit. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, and for that reason, I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on the Victorian budget, but I am just going to go over like the two really big things that everyone's talking about, hmm. so that our listeners will be aware of them. So the first one is a big spend on mental health. So it's just under 4 billion dollars on mental health. Um and this is because earlier this year uh, a royal commission into the state mental health system gave its report and said basically it was a total fucking catastrophe. And um listeners may remember that we've done stories about people being abused in uh like state run mm. mental health facilities and like that they're basically prisons that make people's mental health worse. Um, yeah, so this four billion dollars is going to be to build some new locations for people to go and get mental health care, uh, expanding and reorganizing some existing ones. Uh, it seems fine. Um, yeah, it seems fine.
1: But like, without addressing the material conditions that give course. rise to bad mental health in the first place, it's kind of numbers on a page. I exactly, mean, look, it's not. Yeah. It's not going to have no positive impact in right. the same way that the federal government's federal mental, budgets. Yeah, yeah, yeah mental health commitment which is i think less than could the be yeah. victorian budgets um <laughs> commitment to it like yeah again it's like yeah sure more headspace clinics great, great that's yeah. really good one um, yeah one one but, issue you know, that people it's not going to solve the fucking problem yeah yeah uh,
0: one thing that people often identify is that our mental health system is designed to treat uh people who are basically mentally well but have had a bad Couple months, you know, something traumatic upsetting has happened. They need some counselling in the short term. We've got ten discounted Medicare sessions, Um, and then at the other end, we've got like psychiatric wards for people who need to be, uh, well, maybe not need to be, but who end up being like put in facilities in, you know, sort of hospitals. And then there's this Mm. middle spectrum of people who are like quite mentally ill. But, uh, and they need more help than the Medicare stuff, but they're not mm. sick enough to get put in a ward. Um, mm. and yeah, so a lot of these spends both at the state and federal level, I think are aimed at sort of filling that middle category. But as you say, none of it is aimed at dealing with the underlying causes that of, of mental illness. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and... On that note, uh, I want to read some quotes from uh, a business lady, uh, So, but, but first, uh, to pay for this mental health care spend, uh, the Victorian government is taxing businesses that pay more than $10 million a year in wages, so, like, quite large businesses. Wow. Um, it's a, Going off to the little guy again. It, it's a 0.5% tax, so 5 cents out of every dollar, after their 100 millionth oh. dollar. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and then it's another 0.5 percent on every dollar past the hundred millionth dollar. And of course, as you say, businesses are very upset about this, uh, crushing the 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 small mum and dad, ten million dollar wage, whatever. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, the
1: one <clears throat> one guy who's been interviewed quite a bit uh on this is the guy that runs the very fancy restaurant Chin, Chin uh, yeah yeah in melbourne yep. amongst uh amongst others and he's like oh boy it's just so tough but it's also like he was done for
0: wage uh, theft. like exactly yeah. <laughs> like,
1: yeah. pick one bro seriously you can't complain
0: <laughs> no it's bro. completely consistent they're making us pay too much they're making us pay too much i i think it's that's all true. Yeah. um that's true well the the I wanted to quote a different business person, which is Jennifer Westacott, who's the spokesperson from the uh, Business Council of Australia, who's like every newspaper gets to comment on any kind of tax. Uh, And she said this extremely slimy thing. While we welcome mental health reform, which is much needed to deal with systemic issues and the devastating impact of a long and disproportionate lockdown, an approach that pits some Victorians against others by taxing jobs makes everyone a loser. It doesn't make sense to target employers with a payroll tax hike, which will hamstring their ability to create jobs and drive the recovery. Uh and she also said this, which I think is a beautiful illustration of the way that, like, capitalists are completely inconsistent ideology. They only have the mm. aim of making money. And and then whatever bullshit they have to say, they do not give two shits if they contradict something they said mm. last week. What she said is, yes. this sets a very dangerous precedent of fiscal repair, which ultimately harms growth. Whereas, like, <laughs> any other day of the week, she'll tell you fiscal repair is is vitally important, and we can't afford to give people welfare, even though that grows the economy, mm. it's fiscal repair. We can't afford
1: to not give businesses tax breaks.
0: Exactly. Come on. It's yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah, and look, there's a bunch of other there's stuff in the budget. The, um, oh, sorry, go on. Yep.
1: Just the other thing I wanted to touch on there is the hypocrisy of like how many business owners and like representative bodies yeah. during lockdown was like... Lockdown is just so hard on people's mental health. We really need to open up and let people go to restaurants.
0: Yeah, again so they can die of a, a, a virus instead <laughs> yeah. of depression. And now like,
1: look, I'm all for mental health when it makes me money. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, there, there's a bunch of other stuff in the budget. There's new schools in the outer edge of Melbourne, not in the regions. Uh, higher stamp tax, subsidies for electric cars, a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it's fine.
1: Look, as it's far a as the headline items go.
0: It could be a lot worse, such as
1: last week's budget. Yes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: All right, why don't we move on now? Um, And I just wanted to shout out Hugh for uh, sending in this story, uh, which is about the Fair Work Commission, who found a Deliveroo driver was an employee and not a contractor. So this guy, Diego Franco, he worked as a food delivery driver for Deliveroo for three years uh, until he was fired by email in April last year, uh, apparently for taking too long to make deliveries. According to The Conversation, with support from the Transport Workers' Union, Franco lodged an unfair dismissal claim. Deliveroo's lawyers sought to thwart the claim on the basis that he was a contractor. Only if he was an employee could the Commission rule on whether he had been unfairly dismissed. So Franco's case required him first to demonstrate that he was not a contractor but an employee, and then he had to show Deliveroo had unfairly dismissed him.
1: That's so fucking slimy. Like, f- to fire someone and then be like, We can't fire them. We, we don't we employ them. We you to begin with. Yeah, yep. <laughs> just oh man and again this like i don't know the, the double speak mm-hmm. the the existing in two completely separate realities necessary in order to like make capitalist ideology function it's yep. kind of uh hilarious at the same time as being very, very upsetting.
0: Yep. Anyway, uh, go on. So uh, the commissioner, uh, a guy called Commissioner Cambridge, said Mr. Franco was an employee as he, quote, was not carrying on a trade or business of his own or on his own behalf. And, quote, the level of control that Deliveroo possessed represented a relationship of employment rather than independent contracting. Uh, and so this yeah, which level is, like, this of control is, basically- is the main thing in deciding it.
1: Yeah, right. And I don't know, I guess if people aren't super familiar with this issue, I mean, th- this is how all of these companies, like uh, ride-sharing companies as well, kind of set up their business models mm, uh-huh. to like, they, they claim that they don't employ anybody, that that everybody that works for Uber or Deliveroo or whoever is a contractor. And thus, they have no, ob- like, as employers have no obligations to them in terms of like sick leave, leave. superannuation, yeah. uh, or like... Pay, uh, paying compensation to people who get injured on the right, job is right. another one that, like, yep. you know... Del- being a delivery driver is, uh, rider is actually a really dangerous job. <laughs> totally. Uh, but it's, like, very, very obvious that, like, at the same time, they even though they might not explicitly set your hours, they, like, very, very strongly imply that you should work certain hours yep. and you get yep. paid a lot less if you don't work those hours. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very obviously... You walk around with the fucking delivery logo on your
0: backpack. yeah I just don't know how much more... An employee you could be. Uh, totally, yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's obvious to everyone very, what's very going on. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So according to the ABC, uh, the Fair Work Commissioner ruled on Tuesday that Mr. Franco had been unfairly dismissed with no valid reason and the dismissal was harsh, unjust, and unreasonable. Mr. Franco hey. had every justification for being aggrieved by the callous and perfunctory termination of his services and any criticism of Deliveroo's conduct was understandable, and the Commissioner ordered Delivery to reinstate him and repay lost earnings. So cool. Is there
1: anything in there about what this might mean going forward? Because if he's an
0: employee, then so is every other delivery rider.
1: Yeah. So and this will make great precedent for obviously other ride-sharing and food delivery services as well.
0: Yes and no. Uh, I don't understand this very well. So again, listeners, don't uh, take your legal advice from two of Australia's foremost legal nobodies, Um, (laughs) but it seems that the Fair Work Commission doesn't actually set legal precedent as such, but their decisions will be looked at and considered by other courts. Uh, And so here's from the conversation again. Uh, In recent months, there have been several major decisions. In March, the UK Supreme Court ruled two Uber drivers were workers, a different classification Mm. to being an employee, but with more rights than a contractor. In Mm. February, Deliveroo lost an appeal against Netherlands ruling that its couriers are employees. And although Deliveroo is likely to appeal the Fair Work Commission ruling, this is uh, this case is another sign the thin ice on which gig gig platforms have been skating for years is cracking. So, mm. whoever read this article in the conversation seems to think that even if this decision isn't like the deciding thing, it's a step in this general tide to recognise this problem. Yeah,
1: absolutely. That the the business model it, extraordinarily exploitative. Uh, legal loophole that they totally, yeah. are operating under is, like, falling apart mm-hmm. all over the world, um, including here, which is good to see.
0: So uh, this has been too much of a positivity corner, so to to just give it that little negativity that we all want oh, and need, uh, I'm going to read out uh, a comment from Kim, uh, Kim Nolan, in OzPol shitposting. Um, normally we don't read out comments from people in the group, but we get a bunch of good commentary there. We should do it more. Anyway, Kim said this. For context, this ruling was made by one of the last remaining union appointees to the FWC, the Fair Work Commission, and it will almost certainly be overturned by the full bench of employer hacks on appeal. Also, the full bench of the FWC has previously ruled Uber Eats drivers are contractors. The only real hope that this decision would eventually be upheld is that it goes to the federal court after the full bench of the FWC, but I wouldn't be surprised if Deliveroo settled before they can make a decision. So, uh, I don't know if Kim's an expert in this stuff but uh that sounded bad and cynical to me so i assume it's correct
1: <laughs> i mean it's definitely negative yep um yeah and look important context i'm sure yep but uh yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that one as it develops. There's sure.
0: one other nice little uh, sort of like future thing to keep an eye out for here is that the transport workers union who supported this guy, Diego Franco and in, in this yeah. thing are calling for a new tribunal to be established to specifically oversee the heavy scare quotes gig economy, um, yeah. which I think is probably a good idea as far as like small reforms go. Yeah, for sure. All right. Nice one. Uh, So next up is our First Nations story, uh, and we've got two. I've got a nice one first, and then a a sad one that I'll give a content warning for in a few minutes. So um, the the cool one is that a group of remote communities in the Kimberley uh, in the Northern Territory have gotten together, sorry, in Western Australia, have gotten together for a big meeting called the Remote Communities Forum uh, to discuss the future of the region and collaboration between these remote Indigenous communities. Um, so there, there was another one of these meetings in 2018, which I couldn't find heaps of information about, um, but seemed to be mostly about governance. So I think that's about, like, how Indigenous communities, um, like, organise themselves in various ways, but I couldn't find heaps yeah. of info about this. Um, Uh, This year, the main thing that they were discussing, of course, was coronavirus, uh, especially because most of these communities, or I think all of them, in fact, are uh, locked down and not letting people in from outside, or at least only extremely Mm. limited access. um, And they're considering reopening partially or fully. Um, And and the reason that they've been so locked down is that they're considered extremely high risk if COVID should get into one of the communities. Yeah. Um, there's a variety of reasons for that, one being that medical facilities in the Kimberley are very few and far between, so if someone gets sick, it's uh, hard to get treatment. Another being that there's a large number of underlying medical conditions in these communities, asthma and diabetes, whatever, so it means people who do catch it are likely to get very sick. And another is that because, you know, they're economically discriminated against and whatever, things like masks and hand sanitizer are not easily available. Um, So there's a there was a bunch of discussion about that, um, a bunch of, um, yeah, like planning and, and collaboration. And actually a couple days after this meeting, there was a false positive test in a town in the Kimberley in, in a, in a remote indigenous community. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there was like a instant response to it that went really well. And people, I, I, the article about the breakout or the, the, the false positive, it wasn't actually a breakout, um, didn't, directly draw this link but um they were saying that it was really effectively dealt with huge number of masks got shipped into that community like within hours of this test the guy got another test um within hours of the positive um and generally it was a really good response um so i I suspect that that's at least in part due to this uh remote communities forum happening the previous week yeah, uh, fantastic. Another topic that came up, which I think is cool, is that they, uh, these communities talked about uh, creating a representative body of some sort. Mm. An elder from Wenka Jutka, uh, a guy called Tony Yule, said, I'm really happy that as one people and one voice standing up together, it's going to make all the difference, because when we stand up together, we will be heard. Um, mm. So yeah, the thing about some kind of like parliament or council or whatever to represent all of these communities together. And I actually contacted the uh, ABC Kimberly journalist who wrote this story for more info because there was really nothing written about it anywhere else. Um, Mm. So hopefully I'll have some more information about that for you next week, but uh, it's entirely possible he won't reply. (laughs) Yeah, so that's the the nice story. And unfortunately, um, there's another um, death that we need to talk about. So um, if you don't want to hear about that, um, we'll put the time codes in the show notes when this story starts and finishes. Um, so yeah, this week, a young indigenous man in Gunnedah, in New South Wales, was tased and pepper by police during a psychotic episode and died in hospital shortly afterwards. Um, and according to the SBS, New South Wales police have declared it a critical incident with homicide detectives from the state's crime command investigating. Um,
1: just fucking awful.
0: Yeah, and so tragic. Uh, you know, we know people who are part of the Ospol posting community who knew this person and um yeah, it uh, it's tragic and I I just wanted to express my sympathy and and sorrow for those, you know, family and friends and and people who've lost this person because I know that you're um out there and and around and yeah, it's tragic and horrifying. And yeah, there's, there's not really a whole lot more on this story at this point, um, but like uh, an Indigenous person is being killed by our cops in our prisons literally every week. At uh, Like, there's no possible excuse for it. And, you know, we're still using, as you talked about last week, torture devices to restrain 10-year-olds in jail. Um, mm. It's just evil. It's, It's evil. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's completely unconscionable. And, and yeah, I'll just echo that noon to send, um, love and, and solidarity to the family of this person. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll keep following that story as it develops.
0: Okay. Um, shall we move on to our next segment now, Zach? Yeah, let's. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. Uh, we, we've got a couple of potlucks this
1: week, um, So, which we love, it's when listeners send us in a little bit of audio of themselves talking about something related to politics, or in this case, to the show, in both cases. Um, Or memes, you can talk about memes as well. Memes, uh, memes is also good. Yeah. Uh, If you want to send in a little bit of audio of yourself talking about a political issue or something like that, uh, send it into contact at ospolsnackpod.com. We like to, we like when people try to keep it sort of under a minute if they can. Uh see how you go. Which I think both uh, of these this,
0: callers did. So
2: well, they look pretty
0: close.
1: One one did and the other one was close. Yeah. So good job. Sam. I'm gonna call I'm gonna call that a win. Uh let's say this first one from Jess.
2: Hey Zach. Uh, loved the pod this week and loved Holly as well. Um there's just one small thing in your piece on Cooper. Um that I picked up on and others might have too that was a bit jarring so it would be great if you could maybe issue a correction and never make this mistake again please it will be explained in song by the Danny Welsh band uh, in this song. There's a whole other world past Preston, the locals not that just take the tram to the end of the line. Hit your ride or drive a car. Or you catch bus to Northlands, do a burnout in your commandoor. But there's one thing you can't do in Reservoir, and that's called it Reservoir. Uh-uh. Yeah,
0: my bad. So wait, it should be Reservoir? Reservoir. Okay. Yeah. I,
1: I, yeah it's like I, And look, it's shameful because you and I, Noon, both lived for a long time in Coburg, which mm. is very close to Reservoir. I went apologies, to uni for Saint at Reservoir. I will. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So neither of us should be getting this wrong. But to be fair, we also we we both grew up in Sydney. Well, I,
0: I can promise our listeners moving forward in the future, I absolutely will forget about this and call it Reservoir. So look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, please, look, please enjoy next time.
1: I mean, it also might be that for the entire rest of the run of this podcast history, that we never mention that suburb again. So, <laughs> who can say I, Those it, are really the two
0: options that we've got. Say it wrong, never mention it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So take your pick. Thank you, Jess, for Thanks, writing Jess, in. Yeah. Uh, I'm very sorry. Um, my, my, my most humble apologies. Um, and uh, now let's hear from another listener.
2: Hey, Snack Cuties. Andy here. They, them. Uh, I'd like to interrogate the effectiveness of the stopped clock as a medium for directing our political attention. Uh, The takes being offered by our direct political adversaries that momentarily align with our values or goals aren't being given in service of our ends. It's not enough to have agreement around prescribing problems. You have to agree on solutions and the broader ideological direction of policies to warrant positive attention from us. Otherwise, we're playing into their hands. I'm referring here to people like Andrew Bolt and Mark Latham, not centrists who might be generally amiable to progress but gun shy about it. Uh, These are demon tier operators, people whose ideological mission is to bring about as much pain, confusion and damage to progressive movements and marginalized people as possible with every single action they take so as to rally spiteful support behind their actions. By sharing these postures they momentarily adopt, you're giving time and attention to someone that allows people in the middle to say, well, they're not all that bad. I would point to Mark Latham coming out in support of the HMAS booty dancers. Uh, Him speaking in defense of women dancing is pure smokescreen optics to make him more palatable to older, once-were feminists turned transphobes, or people who are just a bit squiggy about all this gender stuff. Um, Nothing they do that appears good furthers our aims and only protects their brand. Please consider using this time to instead platform marginalized voices in their stead when covering these issues, as there are a wealth of excellent hot takes from people directly affected by these bastards and the hate that they promote. Love you all. Crunch Crunch.
0: Thanks for that, Pollock. There's a lot in there. Um, And... I think I'll start with saying the next Australian warship should be called the HMAS booty dancers. Um
1: it, I'd like to s I'd like to start by shouting out the phrase demon tier operators. Yeah. Yeah. Which great, is one yeah. I'm definitely going to um keep in my arsenal. And I'd also like to send a shout out to Andy for uh sending us a transcription of this yes. podcast of this potluck as well, which was very thoughtful. But sorry, Noon, I interrupted.
0: Yeah, uh so uh, that said, I more or less entirely disagree. Um, so for, uh, yeah, uh, there's a number of different levels. I, I don't think this is like a completely in- incorrect there. I think it's an interesting point. And I don't think you or I had really thought about it before, uh, getting this potluck, but I, well, so for one thing, I don't think maybe I'm wrong about this, but I don't think Mark Latham was using the booty dancers as part of an anti-trans platform. I think he was just being contrarian and trying to get some attention i, I don't think he was courting transphobe second wave feminists kind of... either i think he was just saying he thought it was fine like i, I don't know I'm not, i don't necessarily think he was drawing I don't a connection even know what comments him, other stuff yeah
1: specifically being referred to there but what you just said about lathan being deliberately just contrary is kind of maybe what Andy is trying to point out there. That there's nothing genuine there beyond like an yes. attempt to stoke uh, controversy for the right, sake right. of publicity. And, and, and so attention. this
0: leads to their actual, I think, substantive point, which is that the broken clock segment in some ways platforms demon tier operators. And again, I'm not sure that's necessarily true. One thing is that the broken clock thing is a like, very antique OzPol shitposting meme from, like, three or four years ago, um, that, like, we decided to bring into the show. Um, but... Also, I think that the whole point of the segment is that they're shitty people who always say shitty things, you know? Like, I don't know if our listeners are being fooled by us treating them in a neutral way so that they then might shift to the right. It's not like when fucking whoever it was got Blair Cottrell, the Nazi, on and had him, like, with the the banner saying, like, yes. political activist or whatever. We're not doing that. <laughs> I think – I'm not sure if it's in the sting. I think we say you have to ha- uh, you have to hand it to ISIS. Uh, which like clearly the point of the segment is it's terrible. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I was what you chatting think, about
1: Zach? this to a friend because no, well this this pot like really gave me food for thought. Yeah, and we actually we got it a couple of weeks ago. We should mention. We've been sorry, to Andy, play it for a haven't. while. Yeah, 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 and didn't work out for whatever reason. Um, but like, yeah, I, I, I've put a lot of thought, I think, into uh, the points that Andy's raised here, and I was chatting about it with a friend to get um, some. Uh, extra mm-hmm. input. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the friend said something along the lines of that they f- felt like the purpose of the segment was partially to expose the incoherence and inconsistency of a lot of these conservative commentators, that they're casting about just for kind of whatever is most expedient to them, and very occasionally will accidentally hit on something that, like, we incidentally sounds- approve of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. But, you know, the. But actually that statement has got little or nothing to do with, you know, their actual beliefs at the end of the day. So that's kind of, you know, one point is that well, we definitely don't intend to endorse these people when we do the segment, and maybe it's on us for not making it as clear as yeah, it yeah. should be mm-hmm. potentially. So but I- they I'm are demon tier accept.
0: operators that we're. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm willing to accept that. I mean sure. we often give it to like the Labour Party as well. True. For example. Um, which I think is you know not exactly what Andy is talking about. Well, yeah,
0: they were talking about the. They specifically said yeah. not the centrists. That yes. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, something else that I would say, as well here, is the reason we introduced the segment. I think mm. was we felt like we needed more joke segments. It is kind so of, of a meme be, segment. I was going to say that it's too. It's supposed to be a meme segment and not so much one of the serious political discussion segments. But that also raises the question for me. Like when I was thinking about mm. it. I was like, well, are we then just making light of, like, you know, <laughs> really, really horrible people's opinions? Uh, and that might be a lot harder to take if, like, we're, we're like, oh, Mark Latham said a funny thing. And, like, I'm not trans. It's not going to be, sure, you know, sure. I, I like, I don't know how that's going to be yeah, received yeah. by somebody, a trans listener. You know, <laughs> I can understand not wanting to have to... Think about Mark Lathan's existence when you're listening to a podcast that is supposed to be on your side politically. I think another saying so,
0: again about the reason we came up with the concept is yeah. that whenever these shitty people say mildly approvable things, people always post about it. It's always a story because it's like, wow, yeah. this demon tier operator said something I agree with. What the fuck? Isn't that weird? Ha 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 ha. And people like post about it in the shit posting group and then you know we want to talk about it so yeah i i think that there's some legitimate points in this potluck and as you say definitely food for thought but i'm i'm not fully convinced but listeners if you have further opinions about this we'd love to hear what you have to say
1: yeah, I'd like to hear some listener, some other listener opinions on this as well. Whether anybody's had similar thoughts. Yeah. And uh, the final thing I'd like to touch on that mm. I don't think that we've mm. sort of pulled out from Andy's potluck is that uh, they suggested replacing, you know, platforming yes. these right-wing fuckheads with more progressive voices, which I think is a fair point.
0: Sure. But that is, a uh, we do segment, try to right? do that. It's not in all of our segments. I mean, not. Good at it necessarily, yeah, th- but like I think we do del- <laughs> deliberately try and do that as part of our normal process. But yeah, yeah we- I,
1: f- I I I agree. We make an effort to do that. We also have in, like another stories, but for yeah, well, and, well, and I was going to say we have our blessed take segment, mm. except that we almost never give it to a <laughs> to good a blessed day. one. Yeah. We almost <laughs> always give, and this is I think gets to something maybe deeper about the the like the way in which we approach political discussion and like try to make politics interesting and or funny sure which is like i think it's it was something that cam wilson said um that stuck out to me when we were talking to him he was like australian politics can be very entertaining for all the wrong reasons Mm, and mm. i think that kind of sums it up in the sense that it's like you know we try to see take the humor from the like awfulness and the darkness Mm. and sort of you know, laugh at our enemies a little Mm. bit in order to try and bring a little bit of levity to the show. But I can also totally understand this alternative perspective. That's like, why are you platforming these assholes? Let us hear from cool people instead. Like, and also, you know, don't provide any ideological cover to these kinds of, Mm, mm. to coin a phrase, demon tier operators. So yeah, as Noon says, I'd love to hear um, yeah other listeners' perspective on this as well. Um, and look, I'm open to changing our totally. approach. Yeah. To the segment, like yep. maybe one thing we could do is if if we're going to single out like some worst people clock, in Australian we have a blessed politics take
0: or something, or yeah, yeah, or
1: like you know, find someone who's actually you know angels got versus integrity, demons saying could something only... good about the issue. Yeah. Angel versus, angels versus demons. That's not bad. Do you, you like that, listeners? Um, it's not. Uh, food related, but uh, Angel Cake. Devil versus, um <laughs> All right. It's podcast magic happening in real time. Thank you, Andy. We thank really you. It appreciate a, it. Your it was a fabulous um,
0: potluck. And, and if you have more thoughts about things, please send them in because, yeah, it was great potluck.
1: Yeah. And thank you so much for the transcription. That's so thoughtful. Yes. Um, great. All right. Well, uh, we'd love to hear from you on that. But in the meantime, let's move on to. You fucked up.
0: I hate this story so much. (laughs) The federal government has said that they're going to build a $600 million gas-fired power plant in Kurikuri in the Hunter Valley. And this is a very weird and not liberal decision. I say liberal in the sense of the Liberal Party, uh, but also the sense of, like, smaller liberalism that the liberals pretend Mm. that they are. Mm. Uh, Because obviously they're very in favor of the free market, um, but now the government is doing something against the free market and the, so the, the reason for this is that a year or two ago they said that if the private sector doesn't build one um, they the government would step in and do it because AGL who's a big power company is closing their coal-fired power station in the area which is called the Liddell power plant uh, in a couple of years from now there is actually a private sector built power plant being uh, built there by a company called Energy Australia. Uh, and according to the Guardian, uh, confirmation that the Energy Australia project will proceed follows a threat from the Morrison government to intervene in the market to ensure there are not shortfalls in energy generation once the aging coal-fired power plant in Liddell in the Hunter Valley closes in 2023. The government gave the private sector until last Friday to bring forward proposals to ensure there's sufficient dispatchable area in the energy post. Uh, uh, sorry, in the energy, energy market. The area? Sorry, dispatchable power in the energy market post Liddell energy australia confirmed its intentions on tuesday okay so the government is like hey if you guys don't build one we will Uh, and it'll drive down prices and the money will come to us so you guys won't be earning as much and so energy australia like okay cool we'll build one then and the government are now like all right so no one's building one no one no one building one all (laughs) right i guess we'll have to to go ahead and do it then Um, What's the Energy Australia plant going is, to... Is it also gas? It's also a, a gas-fired power plant. Both of these uh, power plants are designed to be off most of the time, and then switch on at short notice when power is high demand, burn a little bit of gas, sell the power at a high price, and then turn off again. Um, sure. But... Batteries are cheaper, quicker to build, and miles more effective than gas plants for doing exactly that. Uh, you may recall, Zach, that uh, there was a South Australian battery farm that actually turned on yes. too quickly when there was a spike in consumption, and the entire state's power system out. was like, Aah! yeah. So um, instead of that, we could have shitty gas, which might not um, have that particular problem. But yeah. That's the beauty of
1: interfering in the free market. <laughs> yes they're doing a bad job and you can come in and make everything work exactly um- uh- Sand. There's also been that clip going around, I can't remember which politician it was, but it was like an interview on Sky News, and the, the interviewer kept getting the guy to admit that a battery could provide power, totally, and the guy basically yeah. refused to say, to like, say it. Yep. yes, a battery could provide power, Like, and they're just going back and forth on like, well, it depends on the size of the battery, it's like, yes, but could a battery, well, you know, batteries this, batteries that, like, <laughs> very indicative of uh, conservative government's complete unwillingness to look reality in the face when it comes totally. to this issue. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
0: and I just wanted to uh, shout out uh, Sam Shetler who posted in shit posting a screen cap of an amazing headline from the Australian Financial Review: Coalition's energy policy rooted in communist-style state control. Whoa, <laughs> holy moly! I mean, I know I was making fun of them for not being free markety enough, but like, that's this a bit of a stretch, response. bro yeah i
1: mean this is like that's the atmosphere of political discourse that they've totally. established, yeah, and like you know the joke being the old joke being communism is when the government does stuff, like if you genuinely tell everybody that and enforce that ideology for decades of course then you're when you come do stuff people will in like- the <laughs> ass when you
0: the government what sewing. a bunch of the government. Those clowns Reaping. in Parliament
1: have done it again. <laughs> wow. How does it clowns? keep up with the news like that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Zali Stegall, who's the um, MP that she take Turnbull's old seat? I can't remember. Something no, it was Abbott's. Uh, Abbott's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, that's a funny um, slip it, it? to mix those up. Yeah, yeah, wearing it, yeah. Um, so she was on uh, a Radio National Breakfast this week, uh, and she said this. Um, if this all stacks up, we should be seeing a business case. The market would be jumping in to fill this void, and it isn't. There's a reason that it isn't. This is going to be a stranded asset. This project has nothing to do with economic viability. This project is highly suspicious. Um, and the government claims that it's doing this for two reasons. One is to make sure that power supply is plentiful and therefore cheap. And the other is to create jobs to replace those lost in coal mining. Because remember, this is happening in the Hunter Valley, where it's a big coal mining region. Um, and regarding jobs, uh, Zali Stegel claimed that it would create just 10 permanent jobs. Um, so it'll be like 600 <laughs> during construction and then 10 ongoing jobs. Um, yeah, the
1: government loves to give the employment figure at the peak of the construction phase yes. of, of a project. Yep. And then when someone's like, and, and later on, they're like, yes, well, that's you know the thing about the free market. Just got to love jobs. Next question.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, well, that the next question is about the you know, what I just said, the power <laughs> supply is plentiful and cheap. So uh, this is a quote from <laughs> news.com.au. <laughs> Uh, after economic modelling suggested power prices could rise by up to 30% after the Liddell power station closed <laughs> down, Energy Minister Angus Taylor insisted this new plant would secure affordable energy for New South Wales. But Andrew Stock, a senior energy executive with over 40 years' experience, said the construction of a new gas power station would not lower electricity prices for homes and businesses as promised by the government. He claimed to would only raise them. Gas is expensive, and gas peakers that rarely run need to drive up prices to get a return. So that's what I was saying before. They're off most of the time. Then when gas is expensive, they turn on for a minute. So he's like, this plant needs gas to be expensive... To work. Um, But he goes on. Federal interference in the electricity market also discourages... Yeah, right? (laughs) Also discourages (laughs) private sector investment. Any potential shortfall created by the closure of the Liddell Power Station in 2023 would have been filled by the New South Wales state government and energy industries announced plans to build renewable energy zones and big batteries across the state. Renewables are cheaper, smarter choice to meet future energy demand compared to gas, which is expensive, polluting, and worsens climate change. The decision is all round, poor move for Australian taxpayers. So there you have it. It's like not only will it not drive the environment, but it's
1: also bad for the economy. (laughs) And it doesn't make jobs. (laughs) And like there's like no Well, that's it. It's like they have no they have no recourse, right? They have to say that they're intervening because jobs or because economy. But that like they can't even fall back on that anymore. Totally. And so because like obviously they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they have to do this in order to stop to fossil fuels industry because that's Basically, their entire
0: But the thing is, that this isn't even resisting. good for the fossil fuel. It's good for the gas mining industry. Yes. But it's bad for all of the people who own coal-fired power stations and, uh, like, other gas stations. And what, it's bad for the energy industry. It's just silly. Like, they they literally did it as a threat. And then when the energy <laughs> industry gave in to their threat, they were like, well, we're going to do it anyway. I, I sent you a... there's a bit of a tangent. But I sent you a voice memo on Facebook this week, Zach, um, about a... Uh, podcast that i was listening to um mm. where they were saying that like leftists have this issue where like what are we going to do after the revolution you know we have to have a plan we need to know how we're going to run society mm. we have to like have a coherent vision of the future uh whereas conservatives or reactionaries or whatever they don't have to do that they can say whatever fucking shit they want uh and they can just like do a 180 degree backflip immediate like overnight being like uh yeah well, we're going to do it anyway and they there's no requirement for them to be even remotely consistent with what they say and do and like hmm. it, yeah anyway i i think that is worth um just thinking about yeah yeah
1: <laughs> oh jeez what an fucking infuriating story <laughs> yes
0: yes it is <laughs> i mean i guess the good news is that it's it's just going to be off it's just gonna cost six hundred million dollars <laughs> and then not do anything. So it could be yeah, worse. Do you want it those six hundred construction operate.
1: workers not to have jobs for a year or two? No?
0: Right. Yeah. Um, okay.
1: <laughs> is it now time for Shitpost, Shitpost of, of the Week? week. Alright, noon. What did you personally select yourself to bring for this week's shit post of the week as your pick? For shit post of the week this week that uh, you chose. <laughs>
0: It, well, to be honest, it was a poem that off mic, Zach, said that we should skip. But um, <laughs> I I had a shitpost of the week off my heart as well, uh, which uh, was because this week I was interviewed by The Age uh, about what I thought about the Victorian state budget, which you already heard, listeners. Um, they got a much briefer version uh, where I was like, eh, seems okay. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> So there was a photo of me in the, in the paper. It was very exciting. My parents asked me to buy several copies of it, which is adorable. Oh. And an old lady <laughs> at the cafe said she was going to cut it out and frame it, which is adorable. Um, very sweet. But what else was adorable was the OzPol shitposting community being real cuties and memeing me in the paper they so, mean the shit out of
1: you they did in the most in the in the gentlest most complimentary fashion it was really lovely
0: imagine. yeah <laughs> uh so yeah chris ritchie posted a uh a, like blanked out f- version of the Another photo of classic
1: me. chris ritchie meme template Excellent. got yeah. it where it is due.
0: do you want to describe it i feel weird Describing oh, okay.
1: so Oh, okay. I didn't even have it up yet. I was just going to let uh, you get the segment in the notes. But... Yeah. Okay. Let, let, let me open it up. So, the, pho- I, the, the photo I can describe from memory because I've gazed at it, as many people in the group have longingly for hours at a time. So, it features uh, my very handsome co host standing in uh, a pretty nice red jacket, buttoned mm. up. He's got a, a kefir, which comes, I believe, direct from the city of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. That's going to be relevant later. And he's wearing an Akubra, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, which is a classic Noon style, if Mm -hmm. anybody knows Noon. So uh, the other really funny thing about this interview is that, like, they interviewed, like, five or six people for this story. And it's like, we got a range of perspectives on the Victorian budget. And each of the person has next to them kind of, like, the, the angle that they were interviewing us, for. that they're representing, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's like the homeowners, the first home buyers, the employers, and then, and then just the unemployed. Noon. Noon. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, it was funny because I, I, I gave my name as Noon, and then she called me a couple. The reporter called me a couple days later. Was like, "Hey, uh, we need a last name. Can you give a last name?" And I was like, "Uh, mm, how about this one? <laughs> it's." <laughs> partially accurate anyway yeah it's
1: kind of true-esque oh yeah and noon has also been uh photographed next to his uh, i was about to say drug shed but i'm not gonna <laughs> noon's been photographed next to his bedroom uh on the back of well, the back of which backs off into an alley and a uh, uh, has one which has been painted please keep queer which is a very
0: um, famous tumblr post from like 2014 uh this yes. shed so listeners it's from the uh, internet may may have seen it before
1: it's all together. I mean, Noon's got a quite a smoky expression on.
0: So it's all together
1: a very pleasing photograph. Anyway, the caption of the photograph of Noon in this story reads, Noon is on the disability support pension. He gave qualified support for the mental health investment. And Chris Ritchie has blanked out uh, certain things in order to let people fill it in. And they just went uh, buck wild. I yep. think the first one offered was... Oh, no, where's it? Okay, here's one. This one is from Chris Ritchie himself. Noon is on the Common San Diego lookalike pension. He gave qualified support for the educational trivia based clue investment. And in that one
0: Chris uh <laughs> colored my Acura red, so it's sort of like Common San Diego style.
1: Yeah. Oh, I even missed that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, um Liam JB said Noon is on drugs. Uh so
1: <laughs> blanked everything else out. Yep. That's uh, yeah,
0: that's solid. I really like this one from Hugh um uh, is an album um gunfighter ballads and trail songs volume one and there's a cowboy on the front and he's put just my head on top of the cowboy it looks great actually i should get that outfit as well but uh yeah Yeah.
1: several red dead redemption things various cowboy uh here's here's one new on the smoldering gays pension he gave qualified support for the gay fence investment
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's true yeah yeah uh and there are a bunch of others someone messaged me so on and so forth uh, P.S. I didn't realize that OzPol shitposting is mostly just a forum for you to be a lefty sex symbol, and I said I thought I was always very upfront about that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank well, you, Chris. Thank you, everyone, and- for taking part. Thank yes, you, that's Ashley, the journalist who called me. Yeah.
1: Please forgive us for this uh, somewhat self-indulgent shitpost yeah. of the week this week.
0: Of our heart. Uh, yeah.
1: And if you're a new listener from the age, because they did actually mention Osport SnackPod in yes. the interview, which like good work, Noon. You really yeah. hit all the key the key <laughs> messages. It was funny. I
0: it, I just wanted to say because uh, it, I'm not sure it really comes out in the in the actual article, but they called me a couple days before the budget and were like, what would you like? And I was like, um, Mental and dental are the two main ones and like all of this stuff about affordability and blah, 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 blah. And then they called me on the day and was like, so they put like $4 billion into mental health care. How do you feel about that? And I was like, I mean, I, I said, that's what I wanted. So good, <laughs> but it's also not that good. Hence the qualified support. But qualified anyway, it was, a, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: nice work. Noon, nice work. Uh, OzPol shit posters. We love you all very much,
0: and as you say, now, welcome anyone who's who's just come in from the and edge, well and welcome so, yes.
1: And so, what you're now about to experience is the Ozpol Snack Pod. Hey, this show is running almost for an hour, but we've got one more story, and it's the main one. And this, we're about to double the length of the show <laughs> without discussion yeah. uh-huh. because we are going to spend a little bit of time talking about what is happening in Palestine at the moment, and specifically relating it back to. Uh, Australia in terms of the political response, the media response, and other kind of direct connections.
0: Oh, yeah. So um, we kind of alluded to this at the top of the show, but uh, basically, Zach did all of the actual research for this, and I vaguely know things about it. So Zach's going to give me actual facts. I'm going to respond with hot takes. We're going to see how we go. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I wrote very thorough notes for some bits, uh, but not for this first part here where, where I've just written context, um, which is not the most thorough of notes. But basically, I'm, I'm going to try and give a short overview of what's happening uh, in Palestine and Israel uh, at the moment like over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, for people who haven't been keeping up with it, uh, But Noom, please feel free to jump in if you feel like I'm missing out any key information here. So uh i guess you know the broader context is that israel is a settler colony and they have been slowly occupying more and more palestinian territory over the last uh 7 or so decades
0: mm-hmm. um and also of other people like egyptian and lebanese and syrian and jordanian land as well yeah yeah
1: yes absolutely so this most recent round of like uh, um of open warfare basically between Uh, Israel and Palestine um, has its roots in a a neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah, which is a Palestinian neighborhood in occupied East Jerusalem. So Israel considers itself to own East Jerusalem. The international community, including the UN, considers that occupied territory and doesn't recognize Israel's legal ownership of it at all. And it's effectively
0: not... Like Israeli, like in East Jerusalem, everything is in Arabic. There's very few Jews and Israelis living there. But um, as you say, because Israel, the Israeli state claims it, they're expanding into East Jerusalem constantly in various ways.
1: Exactly. So they've been, uh, Israeli settlers have been moving into this neighborhood in Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, And sorry, my pronunciation is not going to be good. uh, And I apologize for that. It's just a blanket apology for this whole story. Um, Sheikh Jarrah is not the correct pronunciation, but um, I don't. I think it's probably going to be worse if I try to do the correct one. Yeah. something closer <laughs> to the correct pronunciation. So I'll just leave that. Um, and there's basically been an ongoing uh, legal battle, um, you know, in Israeli courts over the settlement uh, of Sheikh Jarrah by Israelis. That was sort of coming to a head. The Supreme Court of Israel looked like it was going. It was due to be handing down a finding. Uh, about the legality of uh, Israelis settling Sheikh Jarrah and kicking Palestinian families literally out of their homes. Mm, mm. Um, Let's be very clear about who the bad guys are here. Um, So that was coming up, and there were uh, protests about that um, at a mosque called Al-Aqsa, which is on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, which is basically the holiest spot in the city. Would you agree with that, Noon?
0: Yeah, so it's where the two Jewish temples of the Bible were built, and it's considered the holiest place in Judaism. Listeners may have heard of the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall, um, which is the Western Wall of this so-called Temple Mount, and it's really, really tall. And then on top of it, there's this sort of, like, flat platform, uh, which used to have Jewish holy sites on it, or Jewish, you know, temple stuff on it. Uh, thousands of years ago, and now has uh, two important Muslim sites on it, one of which is the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and the other is the so-called Dome of the Rock, which has an Arabic name um, that uh, is important because there's this rock there, which is thought to be the rock that was the first part of the earth that God created when God created the earth. It's supposed to be where literally everything in the Bible happened, like whenever anyone lies down, In the Bible, it's like, oh, yeah, he rested his head on this rock. Um, It's supposed to be the rock that Muhammad stepped off when he ascended into heaven, and apparently it has some of his beard hairs and part of his footprint on it. Um, So, yeah, it's meant to be the third holiest site in Islam after um, Mecca and al-Medina, I'm pretty sure. So, yes, it's it's very important for everyone. Um, And also it's coming up to
1: the end of Ramadan... Eid al Fitr is coming up, very holy time for Muslims, and protests are happening at this mosque, Al Aqsa, on this very holy site in East Jerusalem, against the eviction of Palestinian families in Sheikh Jarrah um, because the court ruling is about to come down. So things are, you know, it's all sort of happening. The protests are cracked down on brutally by Israeli police who end up actually storming the mosque on multiple occasions, injuring hundreds of people using tear gas, using various kind of really violent crowd dispersal methods in really very fucking shocking scenes. I mean, that kind of thing happening at such a holy place is pretty... Yeah, it was incredibly intense to see. And so in response to this violence by israeli police against unarmed palestinian protesters who are protesting the dispossession of other Palestinians, of the, mm, you know mm. like po- protesting their own dispossession uh in in response to this violence by the cops hamas in Palestine fired some rockets to be clear Hamas
0: is a political party that uh was elected in parts of Palestine at the last elections and uh basically control Gaza but they don't control the West Bank more or less uh so they're they're sort of the ruling party of Gaza
1: Yeah, Hamas is like effectively in control of, well, definitely in Gaza and in other parts of Palestine. Officially, uh, the prime minister is not from Hamas, the prime minister of the Palestinian National Authority, but he's very unpopular. And there were elections due to be happening around this time and they've been put off. And it was expected that Hamas was going to do very well. In any event, Hamas fires rockets into Israel and Israel does what it always does in this situation, which is massively disproportionately retaliates with, like, mind-boggling military yeah. uh, action uh, and starts bombing Gaza, which is one of the most densely populated places on Earth, mm-hmm. around 2 million mm-hmm. people live there, just under half of those people are children. And this kind of, yeah, so it's, it, and then it, it's, it's portrayed in the kind of international media, as like, oh, tensions flare up again in Israel-Palestine. Um, And we'll get into the way that the media frames this later on in this segment. Um, But, you know, to to kind of sum up without getting into too much detail here, uh, Israel bombs the absolute living shit out of Gaza for about 11 days. Uh, And over the course of that time, 248 Palestinians, including 66 children, are killed by Israeli state violence. And uh, in that same time, twelve Israelis, including two children, are killed by resistance from Hamas. So a ceasefire has now been brokered um, by Egypt, and I think Qatar was also involved and the in the US talks. And so on, but
0: yeah.
1: yeah, and the UN as well. Um, but uh, that you know, officially, a ceasefire has been called. Although the most recent news coming out is that since the ceasefire has been called, Israeli cops have yet again stormed Al-Aqsa yep. and fired tear gas, like literally doing exactly the same thing that uh, instigated this most recent bout of open violence. Well,
0: I, um, my read on that is that from Israel's point of view, they think that um, police operations can be uh, spun in the media as not War. Yes. And so then, yeah. if Hamas Th- and, retaliates, and the is, so is- then it's Hamas who breaks the ceasefire, even though Israel basically used armed forces to reinstate it. So, yeah, that, yeah. that's Abs- my read re- there about why that's the particular type of violence they're doing.
1: The, the other thing that I haven't mentioned here, which is probably relevant to bring up, is there was a huge amount of uh, what is being described as communal violence. There was a lot of like destruction of uh like palestinian shops and properties by basically mobs of far-right hyper-nationalist uh israelis Mm -hmm. like yeah basically running wild through the streets and pulling people out of cars and putting them in the hospital by beating them so badly this kind of thing so that's another aspect of this that i think is um important to touch on but look i think that's probably about you know that's a very very superficial overview of this you know what's kind of been happening over the last couple of weeks but you know i like to try and keep this podcast focused on you know uh, on australian issues Mm -hmm. and stuff because it's hard enough to try and keep abreast of what's happening here let alone elsewhere so you know if you want deeper analysis on that i recommend going and checking out uh, al jazeera's coverage which is going to be much better than Uh, almost any other media outlet that you're going to get here in australia certainly
0: one thing that i want to say about israeli politics i don't know if you're going to get into this sounds like you're about to move towards um australia's relationship with israel but um listeners may or may not know that israel's government has been in a complete shambles they've had i think six Mm. elections five or six elections over the last couple of years because they keep not being able to form a majority uh, or not being able to form a government. So uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's the far-right, uh, mostly secular, but loves conservative religious people, um, he's the current prime minister who's embroiled in a corruption scandal and has been tenuously holding onto his prime ministership for the last few years while these elections fail to do anything. He's been acting prime minister, basically, for multiple years and if he gets voted out it's extremely likely he will end up facing uh corruption charges um fraud specifically fraud yeah Yeah. there's a whole whole bunch of shit but um so but
1: if he gets elected prime minister again hey hey exactly criminal now exactly yeah it it is important context
0: and whenever this violence happens uh his party does what's happening the conservatives do well yes um, so yeah. he is no, fermenting violence because he knows that it's a reliable way for him to get votes so he can hold on to power so that he can avoid going to jail. So that's, yeah. Yeah. no,
1: it's, uh, that's a very good point. Um, yeah. Fuck BB. Fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's, uh, now I, I'm going to, I've got a few little sections here and I'm going to start with some responses to this situation from Australian politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just a nice quick one up top from Dave Sharma, who is the former ambassador to Israel. I think he's- uh, He's the one Went- who
0: took Malcolm Turnbull's seat.
1: Yeah, he, yeah, he's in Wentworth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, Dave Sharma, Liberal MP, piece of shit, former ambassador to Israel, uh, famous for recently handing out white roses to women on International Women's Day. Um,
0: <laughs> you don't remember that? <laughs> no. Why did he do that?
1: <laughs> well, it was, you know, around the time of, like- Brittany Higgins sure, and that stuff sure. coming out, and everyone was like, "Hey, man, this is not the move." Anyway, Dave Sharma said, "Quote: Trying to ascribe some sort of moral equivalence between the actions of Israel and Hamas, which is implied in the frequent formulation urging restraint on both sides, is at once naive and preposterous." And Dave, I agree with <laughs> Technically you. Technically correct, the way that you made, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that, that that about sums it up in the sense of like that's you know. It, the, the political response is going to be very, very pro israel as yeah, yeah. I'm sure, uh, is unsurprising to most of our listeners. Uh, got a quote here from Foreign Affairs Minister Maurice Payne. This is at a press conference in Washington. She gave these comments. We have unequivocally called on all leaders to take immediate steps to halt violence, to maintain restraint, and to restore calm. Our strong view is that violence is not a solution. Whether they are rocket attacks or indiscriminate acts that fuel the cycle of violence and bloodshed, they are also never justified. We have urged all parties, there it is, to refrain from violent or provocative acts, calling for a halt to any actions that increase tensions. I'm wondering, does that include, just a, a random example plucked from thin air here, tear gassing people at a place of worship? Or, just, just for another like- random example, stealing people's homes and hmm. land? Hmm. Do you, do you reckon that those are actions that increase tensions? Maurice? Maurice? Um, there's also that the, she mentions the rocket attacks, which, yes. you know, that's, which is a dog that's Hamas' whistle, violence, and Ed then fault, indiscriminate yeah. acts that fuel the cycle of violence and bloodshed, which is very, very abstract. No mention in there of, for example, bombing a building that contains the offices of media organizations. Would that be a, an unjustifiable act of violence maurice maurice I, look anyway I, I this response makes it clear i think how damaging world government's silence on israeli dispossession of uh, israel's dispossession of palestinians and and israeli violence like how damaging their silence is because it's like only once hamas responds is restraint urged. yes of course like yeah. you know and, and of course you know like 20 Palestinians for every Israeli are killed whenever, like open uh, violence between Israel and Palestine breaks out like this. Um, But I think this is also a bit of like a a, a Slavoj Zizek ideology alert, which Mm -hmm. I think we need some kind of sting for, but um, maybe I'll get that going next time. But the idea of what qualifies as violence, right? Who gets to make that decision? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, one of the major uh, important pieces of, context around this whole situation is that palestine lives under a blockade by israel and access to water electricity medical supplies are all super limited yeah there you go yeah well like a bunch of vaccines that were meant
0: to be shipped to gaza have been diverted by the israeli government so they uh, this was before even all of this recent shit was happening there you go
1: and so does that count as violence Right, Like, right. Is, is, is that provocative? Is that <clears throat> increasing tensions? Like, the way that these mm. uh, calls for calm and restraint are framed mm. implicitly discounts all of this structural oppression and violence right, right. being implemented by Israel on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. I think it's an important... I think that's know.
0: really true, and I think that really... Uh, I mean, you kind of already drew this connection, but Maurice Payne saying, you know, rocket, t- rocket attacks and other bad things, uh, like really what she's saying is like Hamas bad and also like i guess while i'm here anyone else who might have i don't know who it might be but anyone else involved in this <laughs> conflict should exactly. also probably chill a bit um but yeah exactly yeah. Uh,
1: uh morrison as well scott morrison uh the prime minister of our country for some fucking reason uh has also used the urging restraint line I've got a couple of quotes here from him uh, that he gave at a federal budget lunch, apparently. Uh (laughs) Um, I'll I'll take the uh, the word of whatever paper I got this from because I didn't write it down. Quote, Israel unquestionably has the right to defend itself and its people. Unquestionably. And equally, Palestinians need to be able to live safely. As a government, we believe in a two-state solution. It seems now politics here in Australia... That is no longer a bipartisan view. Mm. I think that is disappointing.
0: Well, that's not true, for one thing.
1: Right. (laughs) Here's, uh, uh, as reported in the Australian Labor at its last national conference, quote, called on the next Labor government to recognize Palestine as a state, but they still support two-state solution
0: well recognizing Uh, them as a state is part of a two-state solution Uh, but the government has been hyperventilating about this being like the end of a two-state solution labor's being like yeah we want two states and the government's like how could they turn their back on the two-state solution like that
1: yeah which they definitely haven't done and like penny Wong has sort of come out swinging saying that morrison is either flat out wrong or just lying yes uh, which you know whatever take your pick yeah labor very obviously clearly supports the two states solution. um but on that uh, recognizing palestine mm. as a state i want to read a little quote here from the australian jewish
0: news oh great everybody's
1: favorite unbiased source of
0: <laughs> information
1: totally non-zionist <laughs> uh newspaper okay Shadow Foreign Affairs Minister Penny Wong moved an amendment at the ALP conference on Tuesday, elevating the status of a 2018 resolution that, quote, calls on the next Labour government to recognise Palestine as a state, and expects that this issue will be an important priority for the next Labour government. But in moving the amendment, she implied a future Labour government would not be bound by it. Quote, it has no greater or lesser weight than the 2018 conference resolution, she said. It reflects our belief that Israelis and Palestinians deserve to prosper in peace behind secure and recognized borders. Noon's losing his shit. I don't
0: know if It you reflects can hear this conference prior expression
1: of its view on statehood while recognizing this is a decision for a future Labour government. An Albanese <sighs> government will take a principled approach to these issues. So, like, even in moving this amendment, Penny Wong is like, yeah, but it doesn't mean we'll do it. <laughs> it doesn't mean we have to do it, and but still, the response from obviously this uh, Zionist newspaper, which like they have a, a bunch of quotes, like as you say, hyperventilating about this and being like, "Oh, it's it's outrageous! The labor and also, is yeah. starting
0: concentration camps for Jews." Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: that's very much the the uh, the, tone, the vibe, yeah. and, and and obviously you've got the libs as well, kind of trying to seize on this as, like, the end of bipartisanship yeah, on yeah, foreign yeah. policy uh, in Israel-Palestine. Like, it's just excruciating. not at all what's yeah. happening. Um, now, there's also uh, a quote in this Australian Jewish News article from the Director of Public Affairs of the Zionist Federation of Australia, Uh, Actually, I think this might be a different article from the Australian Jewish Mm -hmm, News mm -hmm. where they kind of collate a bunch of political responses Mm -hmm. from Australian politicians. Uh, This is a quote from the Director of Public Affairs of the Zionist Federation of Australia. With the rocket onslaught in Israel and the media onslaught everywhere else, we are grateful and relieved for the unequivocal support for Israel's right to defend itself by so many state and federal politicians from both sides of the aisle, not least from the Prime Minister himself. So... I don't know, and I'm realizing that we haven't de- defined Zionism for mm-hmm. people who aren't mm-hmm. familiar with the term. Sure, uh, but essentially, people who believe uh, in like Israel having the right to occupy not only Palestine but much of the surrounding it's area. There's a very as well.
0: simple definition for it, which is Jewish nationalism. It's nationalism, same as in any other type of nationalism, except it's for Jews, and uh, they say because we're our own. You know, people in in that sort of broad sense, we should have our own state and our own self determination. Uh, it grew out of a whole lot of like the the rise of nationalism in Europe during the 1700s and 1800s, and the anti Jewish nationalistic pogroms that were being done in like Poland by people who had like developed this Polish identity and were excluding Jews from it. Whatever, whatever, and for some reason—I uh, mean, there's a bunch of reasons—but like, it, like they, the the early proto-Zionists were like, "Well, let's do it in." palestine the land that's described in the bible and like that that wasn't always part of zionism but now in 2021 zionism as you say means like pro the currently existing state of israel and a lot of progressive zionists will be like no i'm actually against the current state i'm gonna move there and join the army to reform it so i can vote for lefties um so you know like There are people who call themselves Zionists and then also think that stuff that Israel does is bad, but they all think that Israel in itself is a good idea.
1: Yes. So the person who is head of the club of people who believe that thinks that the Australian Prime Minister's comments have been very good. Yes. So that's, you know, that's the tone of the political response here. There's also been some, like, you know, quote-unquote backlash against extraordinarily, like, mild comments... Uh, from okay, here's one a tweet for for example from uh, Jody McKay, who's the the leader of Labor in New South Wales. Thinking of the Palestinian community on the eve of Eid, I know they're worried about friends and family in Jerusalem and Gaza. Attacks on the innocent and on places of worship are unacceptable. Very, it's pretty mild, sure. just yeah, like yeah. expressing solidarity. Yep. It's really sad that people are dying and being yep. hurt, and, and that, that people are wearing. Was about described family. as. Appalling by the Zionist Federation of Australia, mm-hmm. like you mm-hmm. can't, s- like you know, even just expressing solidarity with Palestinian people is c- is considered appalling yes. by, like you know, these I- Israeli ultra nationalists. Um, on the other side of the spectrum, you have some comments. Po- the, the only positive comments, really. Uh, from Australian politicians coming from members of the Greens. And Abant says, this is not a conflict between equals. It is the continuation of oppression yeah. and occupation that makes it impossible for Palestinians or Israelis to ever live in peace and security. And there was also solidarity expressed by Marine Faruqi, John Steele-John, Lydia Thorpe, and probably more Greens that uh, I haven't looked up as well. So that's a little taste of the you know, the overview, I guess, of the Of the Australian political response, which is basically explicitly pro israel and yep. uh, egged on by Zionist media and lobby here uh, but I want to talk a little bit also about why that might be happening beyond the kind of like general oh yeah, conservative governments uh, agree with each other, and sure. this is the sort of general political consensus in quote-unquote, the West, about this issue. Mm. Um, let me tell you a little bit about some things that happened in 2018. Great. At the time, our defense minister was Christopher Pine. He traveled to Israel for the Australia-Israel Defense Industry Cooperation Joint Working Group.
0: Oh, cool. Of its I'm kind. glad that thing exists.
1: <laughs> yes, where he met with senior representatives of the Israeli Ministry of Defense and from the defense industry as well. And then later in 2018, let me introduce another character to you called Raphael, who is uh, Raphael Advanced Defense Systems Limited, an Israeli government-owned military company, which worked on the Iron Dome, Mm -hmm. amongst other things. Uh, And they also collaborated with Raytheon, Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, hopefully means something to the Behind the Bastards listeners out there. Um, So in 2018, Raphael... Announced a joint venture with an Australian military company to build a facility to produce missiles here in Australia that are designed by Raphael for use by the Australian Defence Force. Um, also, just uh, apropos, just, of nothing. Uh,
0: so w- what does Australia need missiles for? To shoot them. Yeah, to but to shoot to shoot them all over the place.
1: Y- yeah, I, I, mean, I didn't we need we you to have buy an our answer missiles there. <laughs> we got to buy our missiles from somewhere.
0: Got to nuke something. Um, yeah.
1: yeah, well, exactly. Got to missile something. Um, uh, also, here's a quote from a separate, unrelated article from 2018 Australia has ceased providing direct aid to the Palestinian Authority, with Foreign Minister Julie Bishop saying the donations could increase the self governing body's capacity to pay Palestinians convicted of politically motivated violence, which apparently is very, very different from getting paid for being a member of the Israeli Defense Force, for example. Yes, yes. Totally unpolitically motivated violence. Uh, So, so, you know, so you've got, okay, you've got this, uh, you've got Raphael Advanced Defense Systems Limited uh, collaborating with Australian military companies here in Australia Mm -hmm. to, like, to build... Uh, facilities to give us the capacity to develop Israeli-designed military hardware. Yep, yep. Uh, the Australian Defence Force has also separately spent billions on something called the BMS, the Battle Management System, okay. which, quote, quote here from the ABC, allows army commanders to better coordinate various land assets during complex battlefield scenarios. So it's basically this a computer was...
0: game, but for real yeah, life.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah, it like makes maps digital or some shit. This is a system developed by Israeli defense electronics company, Elbert. Uh, And Elbert does business not just with the IDF, uh, with the Israeli Defense Force, but all over the world, including with the United States military. Uh, and there's no exact figures on the cost of this battle management system because military spending, you know, can be a little bit obscure. But there were multiple contracts around this system and a single contract from 2017 alone cost $1.4 billion. So wow. that should give you some idea of the scale we're talking about here. And uh, it was, this, is, I didn't know about this in, uh, until I started doing research around this issue but uh, this week. But... Uh, it actually this month that bms is now being scrapped because of security concerns okay great Um, which is a
0: nice end to that story at least
1: (laughs) well it's not quite the end uh although it is a very very funny point i've got a quote here i want to read from uh, an australian financial review article heard the one about the former defense materials minister now representing a company whose product deficiencies are forcing the military back to pen and paper Albert Systems, whose Australian managing director Paul McLaughlin has strongly rejected the security rumors, last made headlines earlier this year when it signed up none other than Christopher Pine mm-hmm. as a lobbyist. He still lists it, lists it as a client on the lobbying register. So, aside from the fact that Christopher Pine has his grubby little gin soaked fingers all over this, uh, I just wanted to point out. In a couple of specific instances, the fact that we are, as a nation, and especially a defense force, mm. is like intrinsically very, very tied up mm. in doing business around military stuff with Israel. Now, war is really big business for Israel. They use conflict with Palestine as a way to experiment uh, and develop new mm. weapons. Mm. They, they, they develop this stuff by using them on Palestinian people, and we, Australia are a huge customer of theirs. And so it's not surprising that by and large, the political response from especially the conservative side of politics, but also from labor really is to just be like, yeah, whatever Israel does is fine mm-hmm. because we're doing, we're in business with them mm-hmm. and specifically for military shit. Yeah. Um, geez, Christopher Pine is just such an enormous piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, um, let's move on now to what has kind of been probably the main conversation around this issue um, in in Australia over the last couple of weeks, which is the media's response to this whole situation and the way it's described Mm -hmm. as media. So uh, Janine Kalik is somebody who people might have seen speaking out about this. So she is a Palestinian-Australian ex-newsroom journo. She used to work, I think, for Crikey and possibly the ABC. Mm -hmm. Um, and she's been being very vocal around the way that Palestine is reported on and leading over the last couple of weeks, a lot of activism on now. She wrote mm-hmm. an article for Pedestrian this week, which I'm going to read uh, a, 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 a chunk off here. I've been watching the events unfold feeling helpless, a helplessness compounded by the poor, biased media coverage from mainstream commercial Australian media outlets, including those I worked at. This past fortnight, we have all been watching the dispossession of Palestinian homes in Sheikh Jarrah. And when finally the news was reported after the silence, it was referred to as, quote, clashes. That's the word Mm. used by our media to describe the forced evictions of Palestinians in Sheikh Jarrah, Jerusalem, by illegal Israeli settlers and Israeli forces. Clashes. The mainstream media would have you believe that stun grenades and rubber-coated bullets that killed and injured peaceful Muslim worshippers during the holy month of Ramadan in Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque were clashes. That the current bombardment and airstrikes by the Israel Defense Force on the civilian Palestinian population in Gaza, which have killed over 200 people, Mm -hmm. including 60 children, are clashes and tensions. That Israeli settlers murdering Palestinians on the streets, protesting for their right to remain, are clashes that it's complicated, complicated, complicated. So, mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, she writes with a huge, huge amount of passion um, and, uh, uh- and, but also, I think, you know, very, very clearly describes the problem there.
0: I think that complication um, thing, I don't know if you're going to go into this more, but I feel like that's a really um, effective technique for derailing discussions yes. that gets used all the time. There's this really useful word. I don't know if you know it, Zach, but uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't. It's hasbara, Um And it's a Hebrew word that means um, uh, we got told it meant something like telling Israel's side of the story uh, w- when I was doing a Hasbara course when I lived in Israel. But it, it just means pro-Israel propaganda. Um, so if you ever see that, yeah. But um, it's a really... And people get, like, trained in derail- we I got trained in derailing arguments mm. about Israel. Um, and, and, and saying that it's complicated is, is a classic technique. And um, just for example, if guy I went to uni with shared some mm. meme about, like... Um, Oh, you know, the Romans have decided that their religion uh, means they own England, so Romans are all going to move into England and kick everyone out of their homes now. Now you know how it feels to be a Palestinian! Um, And it's like... not the world's most sophisticated meme but like sure i get the point it's like yeah. it's low-grade propaganda and this guy came in and was like this is terrible you're not giving any of the context about uh you know uh, he uh, is a jewish connection to the land and i was like wait so you're saying every time anyone posts a meme about israel they need a full summary of the biblical exodus and the events that led to modern jews claiming a connection he was like yes <laughs> <laughs> Unironically, yes. Unironically, yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. The saying that it's complicated is, uh, so, yeah, something that, uh, Janine Kalik has sort of pointed out repeatedly yeah yeah, yeah is, is used as an excuse to kind of look both sides to exactly the issue, basically as opposed to or like, even like you just look at it look at it on the face of it look at a death yeah, toll yeah on the palestinian side 20 times higher yeah,
0: yeah. more even and, and over the than, last few decades that ends up being um, much more uh like much more yes, dramatic in equity exponentially and,
1: yeah. yeah uh anyway just for a, a quick uh dive into some of this uh like use of language that jenny kalik is talking about here i've got uh the headline in the first paragraph uh about uh sheikh jarrah from the abc and then from al jazeera Mm -hmm. and i just thought it'd be uh illustrative to compare them Mm -hmm. here's the abc two dead 180 injured during clashes between israeli police and palestinians in jerusalem Clashes between Israeli police and Palestinians at Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque left more than 100 people, 180 people injured as anger grows over the potential eviction of Palestinians from homes on land claimed by Jewish settlers. Now, this is from Al Jazeera about the same incident. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. About 90 Palestinians injured in Israeli crackdown. Dozens of Palestinians have been injured in Israeli police crackdown on protesters outside of the Old City of Jerusalem, as tens of thousands of Muslim worshippers pray to the nearby Al Aqsa Mosque on Islam's holy night of Lailat al qaeda Sorry again for my pronunciation. And the numbers, I think, are different there because I think maybe the ABC article it was, was a couple a of days day later, later or something. Yeah, yeah, the situation had developed. But like, so you've got there in the headline in Al Jazeera, ninety Palestinians yes, injured yes. in Israeli crackdown. Who, you've got there who the people are that are being injured and who is actually inflicting the violence. Mm, and in the and ABC one, this, it's like,
0: some people have been injured.
1: Exactly. It, it becomes abstract and clashes between Israeli police and Palestinians. Like, I'm sorry, but, uh, like, militarized police force with state-of-the-art crowd dispersal weaponry and a bunch of unarmed protesters doesn't constitute a clash. Mm, like... Mm. That's exactly what uh, Janine Kalik is talking about. Uh, A couple of the other things that I noted while I was reading the al Jazeera coverage was uh, that they used the term rubber-coated steel bullets instead of saying rubber bullets, which I think is an interesting uh, and more factual representation. And they also repeatedly refer to occupied east jerusalem mm. as opposed to just
0: east jerusalem, east jerusalem yeah or jerusalem of, in that bit that you read from the abc yeah jerusalem's Al-Aqsa S- Mosque really uh, obfuscates a lot of important history there
1: <laughs> yes so yeah i mean this kind of the, uh, the clashes this idea of like, conflict as opposed to you know like colonial mm. violence uh, you know, complications mm, mm. that we've talked about. And, yeah, and and, and and the violence becoming so kind of abstract mm. and impersonal in so much uh, coverage by Australian media outlets. Um, yeah, like, the, it's really, really disappointing and uh, an amazing and extremely comprehensive victory, as it has been for the past few decades, of Israeli propaganda, of Zionist propaganda. And mm. it's so homogeneous across yeah. the media landscape as well. You know, it's not like there's one or two particularly you know like we're talking about the ABC and the SBS. Totally. Yeah, You yeah. know what I mean? And like some of the coverage from for example the Guardian has been a little bit better their international um uh office has been doing some good work on this actually like comparatively speaking. Um but anyway, uh we'll get into this a little bit more later on, but the other thing I wanted to point out here uh, at the beginning is the uh, the total disdain of the media by the Israeli Defense Force uh, and a couple of incidents that happened over the last uh, week and a half really illustrate this. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that happened was the Israeli Defense Force deliberately fed the media false information in order to try and lure out Hamas militants. Oh, yeah. I so didn't basically, hear about that. What happened? Do you remember there was reported about halfway through this past uh, 11 days that Israel was about to launch a ground, a ground attack that's right yeah yeah in Gaza, which would have represented like a massive escalation Shift in
0: the in, yeah, in yeah. violence
1: yeah uh, and then a couple of hours later it started hap- it started coming out, oh no no, no, it's just that Israel has moved in ground forces to attack Gaza from Israeli territory where okay. they considered to be Israeli territory then it turned out that the IDF had deliberately Fed that information to the media so that they would report it so that Hamas militants would basically put themselves in a more vulnerable position and then be subjected to what, by all accounts, was an extremely brutal uh, Israeli defense force attack. So, like, the media, while they're running interference for... Israel and Mm, its military mm. are actively being used Mm. as part of a military tactic. I mean, this is how, you know, this is how the IDF views the media, right? This
0: this is a little sidebar, but I think it's illustrative. Um, The IDF also uses like thirst traps to support Zionism. I don't know if probably many of our listeners. yeah. Yeah, but like, you know, attractive young women in IDF uniforms holding a gun being like, I couldn't possibly be responsible for genocide. I'm yeah. very attractive. Um and like yeah. I like they they're more than willing to use media in extremely deliberate manipulative ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there was also as I mentioned before the incident of them literally destroying with bombs a building that contained the Al Jazeera and associated press yes, offices in yes. Gaza. Like, there's no fucking excuse for that. Yeah, <laughs> like they're literally destroying media buildings. I, I just don't, and mm-hmm. like and yet, me, like the media globally speaking, still kind of like sides with yeah the, the Israeli amazing defense force. When you put it like that, yeah, and, yeah. it's it's yeah, it's truly fucking mind boggling mm. to me. So there has been uh, uh, like a slow kind of. Uh, or a bit of a shift in the discourse around this that I'd also think is important to point out. So uh, in response to like this conversation around the terrible uh, sort of, you know, neutral and obfuscating language being used by the Australian press, two open letters have, uh, have emerged one, which has received about 20,000 signatures is, is a public one uh, asking the ABC to do better Mm -hmm, on their mm -hmm. uh, reporting on Palestine. Um, and there's also an open letter from people who actually work in the media specifically, including like several editors um, and people who work in newsrooms, mm-hmm. basically asking newsrooms to, quote, do better on Palestine. That's been signed by about 700 media workers. Cool. And um, yeah, it's cool. I wanted to read. Well, so I'll sum up their their, por- their, their four demands here. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, to make space for Palestinian perspectives. Good. Two, to avoid both sides Three, to reject passive formulations mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. clashes. And the fourth one I'm going to read uh, verbatim here. To respect the rights of journalists and media workers mm-hmm. to publicly and openly express personal solidarity with the Palestinian Great. cause without penalty in their professional mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. So that kind of brings me to the uh, next segment I wanted to touch on here, which is individual journalists being muzzled Interesting. on this issue. So we've talked about, generally speaking, how the media discusses mm-hmm. Israel and Palestine, mm-hmm. you know, when they do actually deign to talk about mm. it. But there is this concurrent silencing of individual journals as well in a professional and a, and a personal capacity. Uh, I'm going to read a Twitter exchange here, which I think is, is pretty illustrative. Uh, between Janine Kalik and the MEAA, which is the media and entertainment... Something Australia? Alliance? Alliance? Associations. Association? Yeah. me. It's the media union. Mm-hmm. Uh, media Workers Union here in Australia. So here, this from Janine Kalik on Twitter. It has come to our knowledge that management and a handful of Australian news outlets have been intimidating and questioning journalists about signing the open letter to do better, fairer reporting on Palestine. These are reasonable asks about journalistic integrity. Sure are. And a response from the Media the media union. Journalists have a right to express views about their profession and industry. Signing the letter is simply choosing to take part in legitimate discussion about journalism and the media and no employer has the right to prevent you from doing so or admonish you for doing so. Response from Janine Kalik. I'm being asked by anxious and terrified journalists at SBS News to remove their names from the open letter after being asked to by bosses. It is absolutely shameful that this is happening and only proves the point of the open letter and how important it is. So that's a good indication of, Mm -hmm. like, there's all Mm -hmm. this internal pressure within these organizations to stop journalists talking about Mm -hmm. it, even in a personal capacity. Mm -hmm. And if that's happening, you know, think about the amount of control and silencing that's happening in terms of journalists trying to report on it Mm -hmm. inside SBS or ABC, who's also notoriously bad uh, on this issue. Uh, Whereas Warren Mundine, who is on the SBS board of directors, Mm -hmm. can tweet... Quote, I stand with Israel against the Hamas terrorists, mm-hmm. without any consequences. Yep. So you've got you know different rules. Well, what possible who-
0: consequences would you expect for someone supporting a genocide, Zag? I mean, that's just that's just standard operating procedure for Australian government. You know, like
1: too true, new no, too true. Uh, also pointed out by uh, the Twitter account Do Better Journalism, which is uh, you know on behalf of the. Uh, You know, I think it's, I think it's brought by Jenny Kalik as well. Um, They point out that the managing director of SBS went on an all expenses paid junket to Israel paid for by the New South Wales Jewish Board of Deputies, Mm -hmm. um, which is, which describes themselves as the elected representative body for Australian Jews in New South Wales. Uh, Also a bunch of other reporters have had similar, like all expenses paid trips to Israel. Yep. Yeah. and like, you know, on a global level as well, like another story was that there was an American Associated Press reporter who was fired for being part of a Friends of Palestine group in college, Fuck. like before they became a reporter. Fucking hell. Like, so this is the level of influence that like mm. people lobbying on behalf of like ultra nationalist Israeli interests mm. exert on media organizations. So this is like, you know, it's, it's serious. <laughs> yep like very very serious bias and uh and influence being exerted here but like want to finish out here or the last kind of story from the last couple of weeks that i want to touch on is what is i would say probably the most notorious example of uh anti-palestinian and pro-israeli bias in Australian media which mm-hmm. is schwartz uh, and it's, uh, I believe it's parent company, Black Inc. So Schwartz publishes the Saturday paper, the monthly, the quarterly essay, mm, probably other stuff too. Yep. Um, and it's kind of been an open secret for a while and we've mentioned it on the podcast. That I was, there's essentially...
0: I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad that you've actually done some research into it because we have alluded to this claim multiple times. So I, I'm looking yes. forward to you getting into it. Yeah.
1: Um, so... <sighs> The like it, it's basically been understood in, in this sort of vague way that no Schwartz media publications talk about Israel, Palestine and a quick Google of like the Saturday paper website shows that the last time that they had like a news item on it was in like 2014 wow. and it's a very pro Israel sure. <laughs> article and all the mentions since then are from like culture reviews where someone has written a book that mentions Palestine right, or Israel right, right. or whatever. No actual news about it. Um, and yeah, as you say, noon, a lot of this is kind of like inference, like base, you know, which like is a very fair inference to make from yeah. years of silence. Yeah.
0: And um. and that's the thing is that what, like the, the general, as you say, the understanding it is understood. I like that. I like that line for yeah. something that someone told me that I can't remember the source of, um, that, uh, Maury Schwartz, the man who owns the company who yep. founded it is a zionist but he knows that his readers are progressives and yeah. that they tend not to be zionists and so rather than either doing the reporting that he wants or the reporting that his readers want he's just said we're not going to talk about it
1: yes and to just kind of lay this out very explicitly and get out of the realm of like someone told me, yeah i'm going to read a quote here from John van Tigelen, who is the former editor of the monthly Great. which is also published by Schwartz, as I mentioned, and this he gave these comments in two thousand and fourteen and I think from memory they were at a like a writer's festival okay like at a panel or something, so it 's not been released officially, but anyway yep. i 'm going to read this quote, which was republished in an article in uh, the Overland Journal. When you work... Uh, this is John Van Tiglin. When you work at a small publication, it doesn't matter if it was Graham Wood or the Global Mail or whether it's Maurice Schwartz at Black Ink or the Monthly, you work very closely with the publisher and things do get spiked, which is a uh, journal term for having a piece cancelled. Yeah. And you have raving rows about what goes through and what doesn't. And there are certain glass walls set by the publisher that you can't go outside of. And one of those is Palestine. I mean, it's seen as a left-wing publication the publisher is very right wing on Israel, mm. and he's very much to the you know Benjamin Netanyahu end of politics. Wow! So you can't touch it; just don't touch it. It's a glass wall. That's pretty fucking explicit.
0: Yeah, I mean that's wild because as, as I said before, Benjamin Netanyahu is like a far right, you know, serious homophobe. Like he's a, a terrible yeah. conservative. Yeah, that's wild. The that Maury Schwartz because like you can be. Like in Israel, you can be left wing and still a Zionist. As I said before, there are people yeah. who like consider themselves progressive Zionists or whatever. But yes. that's that's wild that this guy thought that he was at the BB end of things.
1: Yeah, it is. It is interesting, but and it's like I think it comes down to this: like you know, v- viewing Netanyahu explicitly just as somebody who's like. Very, he's nationalist, yeah, and he's uh, a military strong man and somebody who's willing to use violence to defend Israel's borders. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's like a fraud, like a a fucking criminal, yeah, (laughs) um, and also has all these other absolutely horrible opinions on Mm -hmm. social justice Mm -hmm. issues is like sort of beside the point, yeah. But anyway, okay, so this has been sort of understood for a while, but like, you know, nobody really has done anything about it. Mm. As far as I know, um, uh, talking about, you know, the lack of reporting on this issue at at Schwartz. But over the last couple of weeks, uh, that started to change. So there was this social media campaign by people who've contributed to the Schwartz papers, Mm -hmm. because obviously Mm -hmm. all of these people, they are progressive writers and commentators. And as it starts to become apparent that this institution that they've been working for is, has Zionist leadership, they are, people are to be like, okay, I'm, I'm actually, I'm not going to submit to these people anymore and encouraging other writers to refuse to work with them until they change their stance or do something about yeah. it. Uh, and the other side to this, which we can't know, but we can, again, infer mm-hmm. is internal pressure from staff at Saturday paper at 7 a.m. The 7 a.m. Uh, a.m. At podcast. Other places, 7 a.m. podcast, which is yeah part of the Saturday paper, um, uh, essentially, Working, these people working from within 7 a.m. who, again, you know, have very kind of progressive political mm, stances, mm. in, you know, relatively speaking, within as the Australian, the Australian media, media environment. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, that's the Saturday paper's entire thing. Right. right, right. <laughs> that's their whole vibe, if you will. And, you know, we can't know about the internal pressure here, but I know that the editor of the Saturday paper signed that open letter asking for newsrooms to do. Yep. Better on Palestine. I know that Osman Faruqi, through the grapevine, is like pro-Palestinian. As if you have any kind of contact with his online presence, There's you would no know that, that would be his. Yeah. Right. But clearly, you know, people are asking these like people who work at Seven AM and and uh, and Schwartz and Saturday Saturday Paper, whatever. Mm. Like, fuck are you guys doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we can't know what happened there, but. Last week, the first time since 2014, as far as I can tell, the Saturday paper published an article about Israel and Palestine Uh by uh, Jonathan Perlman, who I think is their, like, foreign affairs editor. Sure. Uh, And there was an episode of the 7am podcast where they got him on to discuss that article. Now, the article is not amazing okay it's not um, it's not terrible but it does still have a lot of equivocation in it Mm -hmm. um you know there it definitely like jonathan perlman himself is not using terms like apartheid definitely Mm -hmm. not using Mm -hmm. terms like genocide Mm -hmm. he's not using terms like uh colonialism as as far as i remember but he was kind of Gently nudged in that direction by the host of 7am when mm-hmm, discussing mm-hmm. his piece. And they also had an interview from somebody, uh, actually living in Gaza and describing the situation on the ground. So it's that thing of like, Oh, sure. we don't take a perspective, but we can present you with other people who are their uh-huh. own perspective. Uh-huh. On it. So clearly there are people there internally who trying want to... to
0: talk about it. Yeah,
1: Yeah. They're trying to change the internal culture mm-hmm. about this. And this seems to be a great step. In the right direction, it's definitely doesn't excuse, like, you know, it, it's this isn't the end of the story. Sure, it's still sure. A long way to go. But, you know, going from silence to talking about it and is a really good And not first talking step.
0: about it in an extremely conservative, shitty way. Like, even if this yeah. isn't the world's greatest article about Israel, like, it's nice that the article they published wasn't heavily pro Zionist. Like, that's a good Yes, exactly. That's a good thing
1: and like this leads into kind of what the 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 thought that i want to finish on here which mm. i which is that i think that in general public opinion and, and attitudes mm. on israel and palestine are kind of I changing agree. so you you have these open letters um from you know with people within the media but also from the public at large you've had these really well attended protests in in mm. support mm. of palestine happening in cities around australia um and i think also there's this maybe, you know, attendant with a a better understanding of, like, anti-colonial thinking here in Australia Mm, gives mm. people maybe a a framework through which they can understand Palestinian dispossession and Israeli colonialism Mm, better. mm. Um, And I definitely know that my, you know, perspective on it has come a long way in the last couple of years. Sure. Um, So, look, I think that things are kind of moving in the right direction in terms of... Mm it's much going to be, you know, it's becoming harder to either not talk about Israel mm, and Palestine. Mm. It's becoming harder for the media to both sides, this whole thing. Yep, yep. Um, as far as, you know, the political response, I think it hasn't seen much of a change. Sure, but, sure. like, when you have absolutely no resistance to supporting Israel from the media, obviously there's no motivation yep, for... Yep politicians mainstream politicians to change their stance so the thing the the fact that the media seems to be you know moving in the right right direction and definitely under pressure to move in the mm, in, the, in mm. the right direction i think bodes well for yep. what the general political consensus about this bit might be moving forward mm-hmm. um but of course while our like financial and military interests let alone our geopolitical interests are tied up not only with Israel, but with the US, it's yes, going to be very yeah. hard for any major movement, especially Absolutely. from the conservative side of mm-hmm. politics on, on, on this. But anyway, that's sort of a... I hope that's given a bit of an overview yeah, of like great thing. what the um, political and media landscape around this issue is. Yeah. Um, I think it was fabulous. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I think you you touched on a lot of stuff um, and angles of the issue that uh, aren't being touched by, you know, the media sources that we normally get our info from. So hopefully our listeners, I know I did, hopefully our listeners got something from that that they're not getting from other places. So thank you so much for doing all of that research. It's fabulous. I mean, it's horrifying, but the research was good.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's deeply, deeply horrifying and, yeah. and, and probably a good note to end on is to 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 send uh, you know, just huge solidarity to the people of Palestine who mm. are resisting Absolutely. Uh, the genocidal oppression of uh, the Israeli government mm-hmm. and its military mm-hmm. uh, but now if you, if you want a podcast you gotta do a lot of shit That's not technically podcasting
0: you still gotta do that shit. Well, yes. Speaking of that obscure rap reference, were we not going to play some of uh, Juice Rap News this this episode? Yeah, I think the moment's past. Okay, that's fine. And we'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll put in other. a link, listeners. It's, it's the single best source for a summary of Israel Palestine. It is very good that we're aware of. So surprisingly yeah. good. Surprisingly good. We will link to that. Yeah.
1: Uh, on our socials, where you should follow us. Please do. Twitter, OspolSnak. Snackpood. Ospol Snackpood. Um uh, on Instagram, OspolSnackpud. Uh Twitter on... we're at OspolSnackpood. That's right. If you want to follow us on Facebook, Ozpol Snackpod, and also uh the Ospol Snack Posting no. Deadly, deadly Ospol posting, posting Facebook group, Currently Deadly called... Ozpol shit yeah, yeah. Posting. Mm. Uh follow us there. Uh, if you really like what you what we do, fucking hell. If you really like what we do, you can support us over on Patreon for one dollar a month, as little as one dollar a month, which gets you monthly bonus episodes, plus other cool stuff if you want to pay us more money. Uh and if you want to support us but you can't or don't want to do it financially, a review over on Apple Podcasts is a really great way oh, yeah. to help us out. Speaking of which we got a couple of new reviews this week, no
0: That's right. So uh, this one is from... Uh, sorry, I just need to get that. Yeah, so this one is from Tazzle McSnackle on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Tazzle. Uh, it's titled, A Tasty Weekly Slice of Oz Politics and Current Affairs. Five stars. I like to keep up with what's happening on the political front, but sometimes there's just so much news, it's exhausting. Man, you're telling us. Oz Paul Snackpod delivers the most important information direct to my ears and digestible morsels. While a lot of it's dispiriting, that's the fault of our systems, not the presenters who include positivity Aww. corner items and pup dates to help lighten the meal. Crunch, crunch, guys. Thanks, Tazzle. That's lovely. That's Thanks, Tazzle. such a nice review.
1: We try to we try to put in at least a little bit of
0: digestible bits where yeah. we can.
1: Yeah, one McVitie's digestif um, we also got a review from Liz Bowman 84 I love this podcast five stars a great way to listen to the news while having a laugh at our ridiculous country yeah, it is a
0: bad country isn't it Liz it's the a literature. terrible country yeah, yeah
1: and I like to laugh at it too yeah um, thank you very much Liz so yeah that, that should probably do it for the business section
0: next week's our 100th episode we're going to do something cool it's going to be exciting it's not going to be a regular show but it'll be fun
1: yeah stay tuned for that in the meantime right. now it's time for a- All right, Naren, what's Bagel been up to this week?
0: Uh, I think I mentioned this the other day, but uh, we, we, I've got a new housemate uh, who's just moved in, which is very exciting. Yes. They're lovely, yes. a great addition to the house, which is nice because, um, you know, it's always stressful finding a new housemate, and it's great when it's someone yes. who, you know, you're just like, Hell yeah! So yes, that's great. Unfortunately, uh, Bagel doesn't understand housemates or interviews. Um, no. So since they've moved in, we've been uh, doing a lot of introductions, just hanging out in the backyard, and like getting him used to being around them. And uh, he's mm-hmm. he, he's chill with them so long as they don't move. Uh, but if they stand up and walk around, he starts getting concerned, which is. Not great, but you know, baby steps. It's fine <laughs> with time. Um, with, with it's, time. yeah. He 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 quite likes them and is chill about them in general. So you know, it's like mm. uh, it'll be fine. But it's I kind of a have bit the of a bit of a opposite problem. Yeah,
1: with Dante, where he's far too enthusiastic about meeting everybody who comes to the house. Uh uh-huh. um, Last night, my parents stayed over and they were sleeping on the fold-out couch downstairs. Yeah, with Dante like. Immediately, like, I mean, he's covered them with kisses and jumped up with them and then immediately made himself very comfortable on On the bed bed that I neatly made Uh, and left like a mysterious brown smudge on the like white duna cover, like immediately. And I was like, what the fuck is that? I couldn't work out what it was or where it had come from. I expected, inspected his body for like mudge. on his feet or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't find anything. It was just very... Just very strange, and then him just like rolling around on the bed, like having a great time, licking my mum in the face, trying Huge. to get scratches.
0: That's uh, adorable. Which is,
1: yeah, ex- well, it's like everyone's Annoying. like, "Ha Oh, he's so cute," but also, Stop oh that. Jesus Christ!
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> why? He, he's quite a uh, uh, forceful chap as well. His licks come he with is. quite a lot of beans insistence. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah, it's true.
0: Second well. One. All That's right. going
1: to do it for, for this week. We're Boy, only 54 minutes a long one. over
0: our, <laughs> our original planned time. So. <laughs> uh,
1: pretty good by our standards. If you yep. stuck with us uh, all the way, thank you very much for listening in. Uh, yeah, cheers for supporting the show. And uh, we'll catch you next week for episode, episode 100. 100 of Old Sport Snack, but holy moly. Keep on snacking in the free world.
0: Fuck BB Crunch Crunch. <laughs> and and Dave, <laughs> all of yeah, them. Dave them. Sharma, all Fuck Dave
1: Sharma. but Yeah.